0: You encountered a man named Jesus, and you no longer have the desires to go back to the addiction. Was that because you followed a law or because a man of power walked into your life?
1: Crash course on identity and how to live it out.
0: And it's only because of the blood of Jesus that I've been cleansed from all unrighteousness.
1: We are trying to get free when we already are free. Everything is already in us, but we think we have to become something. Yeah, we're still reaching for heaven.
0: Think about what we have made the gospel to be in the west behavior modification behave and you'll be accepted i would go as far as saying when all of our focus is just on behave it actually arouses sin
1: i'm righteous because of the blood come on and there's nothing i could do to earn it preach Cole. And so sin will be- preach Cole. sin cannot exist
0: like this is the power of grace the power of love is it makes walking in righteousness no longer a difficult task This
1: like radical freedom like i guess this is a question of how far does it go
0: do i believe we can obtain perfection you bet i believe we can obtain perfection and i don't care how many people Sheesh. i don't care how many people get upset <laughs> with that because the reality is is perfection to me is not just perfect behavior it's
1: what's up everybody welcome back to the kingdom vision podcast today i have a very special guest an episode i'm so excited for I have Pastor William Hinn on the podcast. I've had him on before, so this is the second episode he's gotten on. The first one went crazy. Y'all loved it. We did it on FaceTime. It's virtual. He's in Tennessee. I'm here in Texas, and so you're just going to see us start start talking. So this is the podcast with Pastor William Hinn, and I hope y'all enjoy. Let's just get right into it. The podcast that I want to like title this so you know what we're talking about okay. is like an identity crash course. Like a crash course on identity. And how to live it out. Come on. And so I want to start off simple and then kind of get more complex as we go. So Pastor William, just to start, if you were to explain to someone their identity, if you were evangelizing, or it'd probably be a believer. This is two believers probably, but if you're an unbeliever watching this, you know, you can have this too. Just accept Jesus and and you got this too. So, um, but if you were to explain somebody, you see somebody on the street and you're going to explain their identity, to, like in a simple way, how would you explain who they are in Christ?
0: That's a great question, man, because it's the foundation of the gospel. It's it's where we're at, I, be, I believe, in the world right now, is, is we have an identity crisis going on. And everybody's looking for where they belong. Everybody um, from the homeless guy on the street to the multimillionaire businessman in the office, they're all looking for who they belong to, where they belong and everybody understands that you have a mother everybody understands you have a father however that upbringing was whether it was good whether it was bad um whether your parents were there for you or not everybody understands that you belong to someone and you come from something and you are a product of what you come from and so you know for me i would start i always like to start in the beginning you know that when god created the heavens and the earth that. In God's heart and in God's mind according to Genesis 1 and 2 um, it wasn't complete until he put man in the center of what he created so right there you see the first the first part of our value you know that it wasn't complete it you know he he creates everything in Genesis 1 and he calls it good but then he doesn't say very good until man is in it and so he creates the heavens and the earth he puts man in it and something that's profound he says that I'm going to give man jurisdiction and dominion over the earth and man is my exact likeness and man is my exact image and they will literally be the manifestation of who I am in spirit in the earth. And so I think most people in the world, if I went to them and I said, you know, they most people know the creation story, whether they believe it or not, you know. But obviously we know like the Mm -hmm. serpent comes and he deceives eve and the deception was the question was is don't you want to be like god and if and if you study how it goes god had already told adam and eve that they were like god and so the enemy lied to her and said don't you want to be like god and if she would have said i'm already like god they would have never fallen but she bites the bait she bites the lie it's who the devil is he's a liar And so she bites the lie that she's not like him. And so what caused creation to fall? Because it says man sinned. And when man sinned, creation fell with man because man had authority over creation. And so now you see that basically mankind take their authority, their power, their likeness, and their image, and they hand the keys to the devil. And so we live now in a fallen state of a world because man fell. And so... This is the beauty of of the gospel. God, being all-knowing, knew exactly what was going to happen, and he had a sacrifice prepared before the foundation of the world, which was his own son in spirit. And you start seeing this family paradigm all throughout scripture, and this is why we all can connect with the gospel in our heart, because the whole point is, is that God is building his family. And he's given his sons and his daughters as being masters of the house called creation and so obviously man goes into sin and and the nature of man becomes corruption the nature of man becomes sin and you know naturally born into being selfish naturally born into being liars they have to learn their way out of being these things but here comes a man named jesus who comes into a virgin of immaculate conception overshadowed by the holy spirit i often ask myself the question like why why didn't god just fix the problem right then i mean he's god like why didn't he just when man fell why didn't he just cover him right there but again god will not go against his own word that i gave man power, authority, and jurisdiction over the earth that I created. And so think about the beauty of God is, is that God became a man. What other God in all of, in all of you know, the, although I don't believe there is any other gods, but all these other fake gods that these other religions worship, Muhammad didn't, didn't come close to us like that. You know, nobody did. There's no, no. there's no other God that can say he left his throne to become like us. And so here comes God in the flesh, not born of a a miracle virgin. There's not one ounce of the seed of Joseph inside of Mary. And here comes this man walking around with a chromosome in his body called God. And he's healing the sick and he's raising the dead and he's casting out devils and he's Mm -hmm. mending the brokenhearted. and, And he's the express image of who God is, the Father. And so... You, you can't really see who yeah. god is until jesus comes and so jesus is healing the sick the father's healing the sick and the whole thing is showing us what would cause god to leave heaven to come down to little us to die i mean god bled on a tree paid a price that he didn't deserve to pay but we did and ultimately what it's shouting is is this is how valuable you are to me remember in the beginning when i created the heavens and the earth it wasn't very good till there was man and it says that jesus came to restore that which was lost so what man lost in the garden jesus comes to restore back to us and it says he took the keys after he's crucified buried risen from the dead it says he took the keys back of sin and death i mean he took them back from the devil and he hands it to man again and he says what you bind on the earth will now be bound in heaven and what you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven in other words i've brought the authority back so we can call it very good now. And we have been brought back into this family called God. It's like, in a sense, justified back into the garden just as if it never happened, just as if we never ate from the tree. And now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can say that the image and the likeness of which we were created has been fully restored. And it I mean, the crazy thing is, is that Jesus comes and he makes this statement. He says, when you pray, say, our Father. In other words, I brought you back into my family. And so there isn't one person on the earth, whether they're homeless on the street or a billionaire at a Fortune 500 company, there isn't one person on the earth that doesn't belong to someone. The reality is, is we all belong mm-hmm. to God. All life comes from God. And so if you're on the earth, you're here to discover this one thing. I have a Father, and I'm here to, to live in an authoritative place over creation, I love this because Romans eight says that creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. It's like God fixed the problem with man by he himself becoming a man. And now man, mm. once again, we are going to see the restoration of what God intended for creation back in the garden. But it's going to take a people who know their identity, who know that like the blood of Jesus came to bring me back into the family. And now I can pray in his name. Like, in other words, I can say that I bear the name of the Lord. Like, I was adopted into the family of God. My last name changed, and now I get to walk around back in the name of God and get to discover who he is as my father. And so this is the gospel, you know, is, is telling people you're not alone. You're, it doesn't matter what your parents said. It doesn't matter what your upbringing was. You have a father that from the beginning loved you, and he loved you so much that he had one son, just one, but he wanted many so he sent the one to be the sacrifice for many to pull them all back into the family and so um it's if i start just thinking about the gospel i'll start crying because of how real it is that man this is our identity we are sons and daughters of god and it's always been in his heart to do this but the devil has lied the devil lied to man and the devil is still lying to man and what we see right now in our generation in our culture the number one issue is an identity
1: crisis. Well, wow, I mean, starting off with the heat, man. I mean, you gave the full gospel from Genesis to to, to Acts, brother. Come on. It's all there, man. I want to... So my next question, the, the Bible says some crazy things, but I want to fixate, you know, you talked about the gospel with this authority idea, who we are now in Christ, because we have the Holy Spirit, because Christ and the Father have come and made their home in us by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says something crazy, and I want you to explain this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin so that uh, he made him who knew no sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. You say this so that we might become the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God means we are as righteous as God. Can you explain, can you we're explain gonna, that to us please?
0: There's going to be some consequences for this podcast. Um, dude, dude, come I mean, on. That's but we're going to go. Yes, please explain. There's in my, there is a generation at stake. I have four kids And when i turn the news on it's disgusting what i see and i see confusion you know and and this is you know not to go too deep but you know this babylonian spirit that we read about in revelation that's going to fall that word babylon means confusion and it's it's confusing people and it's the demonic agenda of the devil to get a generation to begin to question their who they are created value why they were created and the likeness in the image in which they were created and so there's a generation at stake and so we're not gonna hold any punches but 2nd Corinthians 5 is is gosh just read 2nd Corinthians 3 to 5 it'll change your life and if it doesn't like you're not reading you're just not reading the Bible that like go back to 2nd Corinthians 3 dude like it says that I now because of the blood of Jesus that I now behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord looking back at me when I look in the mirror Mm -hmm. And as the veil is lifted, which is the lie has been taken away and the truth has been revealed of this is who you are to me, that I'm transformed day by day into the very same image of God. Like, what are we talking about? You know? So then he gets Mm -hmm. to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it says that he who knew no sin. So here comes Jesus, perfect, became the author of our salvation through the things that he suffered, which is fascinating to me. In other words, although he was 100% God, Philippians 2 says that he had to overcome it by humbling himself as a man. Laying divinity aside is what Philippians 2 says, which that really messes with me and my theology. But I don't believe he ever Jeez. left being God. I think he he walked in a measure of humility and self-control that know he although he fully knew who he was, he knew he had to do it as a man because man caused the problem in the beginning. So a man had to come and fix the problem. And so here's Jesus walking around as a man and i love i love this picture of he who knew no sin became sin in other words he didn't have a revelation of us right but god came to the earth to get a revelation of us so we ultimately could get a revelation of him and now that he's fully shown himself fully shown himself and expressed himself to man he now it now says in the book of hebrews that we have a savior that can sympathize with us because he himself was tempted at every point just as we are tempted yet without sin Mm -hmm. so there's what makes god so beautiful to me is the fact that i can come to him and he goes i understand like think about that like lord i'm struggling with this hey i overcame this which means you can't too and i overcame it as a man which means you can't too i mean the fact that i love what bill johnson says if if everything he did he did completely as god disregarding the humanity of of his body if he just did everything as God it'd still make me go, wow. But the fact that he did it as a man makes me hungry for something that's possible in my life. Wow. And so now you've got this reality of he who knew no sin became sin. He became the perfect sacrifice that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And and I love saying it in a way that offends religion because literally what God is saying is is because of the blood of Jesus, you now you now are as righteous as God. But if you look up like the Thayer's definition, like just the dictionary definition of righteousness, it says the state in which man may obtain, the state in which man may obtain basically the ability to obtain the righteousness of God, but man cannot obtain the righteousness of God. Like I always struggle with the concept of, of run up here to this altar and come get right with God because you have no ability within your own strength to get right with God you just don't God became a man and God made you right with God like the only way righteousness works is righteousness has to be a gift it can't be Mm -hmm. according to the law it has to now be according to the blood and so righteousness becomes a gift that I open and I put it on and I didn't pay a price for it like this is this is the beauty of the gospel is is that I'm wearing something that doesn't I what I deserved was hell and Jesus Mm -hmm. came and said in, in my mercy and in my grace, although you killed my son, I'm not just going to forgive you. I'm going to give you everything that belonged to him. And now we get to mm-hmm. walk around as the righteousness of God in Christ. And I'm afraid that more in our culture today, believe more in what Adam did at that tree, more than what Jesus did at his tree. And what Jesus did was, hey, everything that belonged to Adam no longer belongs to you. But somewhere along the way in religion, we can't accept that we're as righteous as God. We think we got to die as if death is the crown and do our full inheritance. But no, Jesus comes and he says in the scriptures that as he is, so are we in this world. It doesn't say as he is, so are we one day when we die and go to heaven. And I just am afraid that religion keeps robbing us and the enemy is using that religious spirit, the same one that put Jesus on the tree. He's using that same religious spirit to to get us to not believe that we are as righteous as God.
1: The idea I'm trying to fix on, the reason I I talked about 2 Corinthians 5.21 first, and I asked you about it first, is because we all understand the gospel and the fundamental aspect of Jesus cleansed me. I was a sinner and I needed the saving grace of Jesus. And what we're saying is, is the only reason we can savor righteous is because of the blood the blood speaks the word over my life, okay, what does the blood say? The blood was perfect, the only way to go to heaven, Pastor William is to be perfect. That's, right. that's why no man can go that's why no man can go to heaven who is not perfect, and that's why I needed the blood. I needed to have fellowship, I needed to be reconciled by the blood of Jesus so jesus' blood is perfect it's righteous it's clean john fifteen four says or fifteen three you are already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. John, Romans 8, we're heirs. So there's things about identity is the first step is understanding that we have received everything by the blood and by the come Holy on. Spirit, that everything is already in us. And your dad says crazy stuff, and I want you to start elaborating on this. So your dad says stuff like, we are waiting for God to come in, to, to come fix us when God has already deposited your fullest potential. We are trying to get free When we already are free
0: yeah
1: like everything is already in us but we think we have to become something yeah we're still reaching for heaven
0: when god himself came and he Mm. reached for us and 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 our continual reaching for something that's actually already been accomplished is a disgrace to the cross and a and an overlooking Mm. and a familiarizing of what the blood actually means I mean let's talk about let's that, talk about the blood just for a second cuz you mentioned blood. Remember in Genesis 4 because people have this idea like that the father sent the son to just fulfill this gruesome ritual, right? Like why did he have to come and die? Well let's let's talk about why wow. did Jesus have to come and die. Genesis chapter 4, remember Cain and Abel? It's the first time blood is spilled on the earth after the creation. Cain is offended with Abel because Abel had a better sacrifice. So he goes and he kills him and his blood is spilled on the ground and Abel dies. I love this. The Lord comes to Cain and says, where is your brother? For his blood is crying out to me from the earth. So the first thing you have to understand about blood is blood speaks to God. It has a voice, right? So Abel's blood is crying out to God from the ground. God hears it and God goes to Cain and says, I'm hearing something cry out to me from the ground. As you go throughout scripture, you'll read... You'll read in the law the Lord continues to tell man, you shall not eat anything. You can't eat flesh with blood in it because the life is in the blood. You keep seeing this phrase over and over in the Old Testament. This is why we've got to know the Bible because mm. the whole thing is shouting the gospel. So you you can't yeah. you can't have you can't consume anything in your body that has live blood in it because it says the life is in the blood. No animal, no nothing with with living blood so jesus wasn't coming to fulfill some gruesome ritual jesus was coming to pour the life of god back into man because the life is in the blood so he comes and he spills his blood not to fulfill some crazy religious ritual and requirement but because the only way for god to get life inside of man was life had to come by blood you know like if you bring blood down to its smallest molecule it's and it's they would call it congealed light it's what scientists found so here comes jesus and the scriptures tell us in john chapter one that he is the light that lighteth every single man he gave us through the cross this blood transfusion he put his life back into us and what does blood do blood carries the oxygen all over my body to keep me alive So I believe from the moment he breathed into Adam, blood filled him. And now you've got this whole storyline of God goes, I got to get the right blood back in them. So he spilled his blood and then he says crazy things like, now eat my flesh. Bro, in John 6, (laughs) scholars would say 15,000 people are following Jesus. And he waits till the biggest point in his ministry to say the most offensive things. He is not interested in building his ministry. He's interested in finding those who love him so he turns around and he starts yelling at them eat my flesh and drink my blood now you got to understand what the Pharisees are hearing is he's telling us to break the law because it says you cannot eat the flesh with blood in it so here is not only is he saying something disgusting but he's telling us to break the law and what Jesus is shouting at them is I'm the atonement I'm the sacrifice come and eat my flesh and drink my blood not because it's some gruesome ritual but because i will be the source of your life and so if i actually believe that he died that he shed his blood on the tree and god poured his life into man and then he tells me that i can eat his flesh and drink his blood and still have the nerve to think that i'm disgusting still have the nerve to think i'm a sinner wow. we have disregarded the life of god and what he actually came to pour into man
1: The blood what you're saying is put it the big term is positional like think of a label for those who are like what is he talking about it's like we're labeled positionally accredited righteous clean holy because of what the blood and so what you're saying is because how could one then think that I'm nasty or like my sin is too great because that's actually an insult to the blood that Jesus said, because the blood of Jesus speaks the word over my life, right. and I want so so this gives us the foundation for identity. Okay, the blood speaks, and whatever the blood says, I come into agreement. Come it's beautiful what you say. I posted a picture. I posted something about it. Um, humility is coming into agreement with God's will over your life and what He says about you. So we need to come into agreement with that in terms of identity. But how this flushes out? You you've alluded to it. How can we say we're disgusting? How did this? How does this? relate to sin. I'm gonna read two verses for you and then I want you to elaborate. Romans six fourteen <laughs> for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. First Corinthians fifteen fifty six the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Romans 6:14 the only way sin could have dominion over you is if you are not under grace anymore and you are for some reason under the law. In 1st Corinthians 15:56 the only way power sin has power is under the law. Is it that simple? Like is it is it that simple?
0: Hey, you you care if I read a couple more verses? Cuz this is going to be good. Please cuz I'm actually Please funny, do. I'm in I had my Bible open to Romans 6 and please do what's what's incredible in my opinion if you read romans 5 through 8 in your own time for anybody that's listening just read it over and over again it'll change your life but you have to read it as a letter paul didn't paul didn't write this in chapters he wrote it as a letter to the romans and so we can't just pick chapter 7 because it relates so much to our life we've got to read the truth of 5 6 and 8 right and so sheesh um So what I love about chapter six, you know, you quoted verse fourteen, right? Sin will have no dominion over you. That's one time out of six instances, just in Romans six, that it says that I'm free from sin. Like I I wrote in my Bible, I have, if you look at at verse, if you look at six, verse six, it says, Sin no longer, I am no longer a slave to sin. Verse seven says I'm dead to sin. Verse eleven says I'm dead to sin verse 4 14 says that it will have no dominion over me verse 18 says i'm free from sin this is all Romans 6 and verse 22 once again says i am free from sin that's six times we don't have time to read it all but six times that romans 6 tells me that now in christ jesus because of the blood you are completely free from sin so you get to chapter 7 of romans 7 And it says, do you not know brothers for I'm speaking to those under the law. So now chapter seven, he's saying, here's the truth. Romans six, here's the truth. Sin no longer has dominion completely over your life. Like you are free from sin. I mean, we didn't have time to read it, but Romans six also says that like I died with the Lord chapter Mm -hmm. chapter, or I'm sorry, verse 13 says that I am to present my members no longer as instruments of unrighteousness This is talking about my body now like my physical body that i no longer am to present my members as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to god as those who have been brought from death to life so this isn't like the blood refurbished me this is like the blood killed me i died with him the scriptures say i was crucified with him all in romans 6 buried with him quickened with him seated with him raised with him like the whole act of the cross wasn't just Jesus for us, although it was. It was Jesus as us. Remember, he who knew no sin became it. He actually became everything that we were supposed to be hanging on the tree. And so now through his life and his body, it says that I am to present the members, like we're talking about my physical body, as literal mm-hmm. instruments instruments for righteousness. So that right there kind of crushes the whole thing of, of like, it's just positional. It's not just positional. It, my position, the truth of my position better change my condition or I'm a double-minded and unstable in all my ways. Like we have this duality of nature teaching in the, in the church today that is making us two different people, chameleons all the time. And we don't know who we are. And that's what you find in Romans seven to those that are under the law. And so you go on and it says, <clears throat> I love, romans 7 romans 7 is not an excuse for me romans 7 for me is a massive conviction because paul comes along and he says i'm now going to speak to those under the law romans 6 is the truth you're free from it you're free from sin but here's what it's like under the law and he starts describing the law of marriage that as long as your husband is alive you are bound to the law the covenant of marriage. And he goes on verse four and he says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. Like, I don't know how we read this and we're confused. You have died to the law through the body of Christ. In other words, it's like Jesus became our husband in the law and he died to annul the covenant. Like he died to end our, our relationship and marriage with the law. And he goes on and he says through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, and that's important, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, if I was preaching, I would make everybody say, but now, we are released (laughs) from the law. But now, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, that we might serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code and so he goes on and he continues to say listen here's what it's going to be like under the law and you have to understand the law is holy the law the law doesn't equal death it's sin equal death the law was like a shining light I mean Jesus says like the law will forever be holy the law was a shining light on men to expose sin that leads to death You know the scriptures talk about that the law was a tutor to lead us to christ the law shined a light that that shouted you need a savior that was the whole point of the law it was to point us to jesus it wasn't to be like he comes along he says 613 laws 10 commandments if you transgress one you transgress them all like impossible and so the law basically Mm -hmm. gets man to a point of in your strength it is impossible to please god so here's what i'm going to do i'm going to become a man And I'm going to fill a gap that man could never fill. And I'm going to say 613 laws and 10 commandments, what was impossible, I'm going to make impossible because I'm going to come and dwell in you. Like what? And it's going to become now branded upon your heart. You're not going to have to, like, I don't walk around. You know, I say this a lot. Like, I love my wife. I have an amazing marriage. I don't have to walk around with papers in my pocket from our wedding day reminding me of the vows I made her. Like no, my love for her has become branded upon my heart and I don't—I I never think about committing adultery, praise God, because I'm in love. Like this is the power of grace, the power of love, is it makes walking in righteousness no longer a difficult task but something that becomes mm-hmm. a way of life. So he goes on and he says, but what it's like under the law when you're just trying to follow the written code is what you want to do, you can't do. Like you're going to be confused. I have this desire in me, but my flesh won't allow me. I'm double-minded but then you get to chapter 8 and i love this it says but now there is therefore i'd make everybody say but now again so he's saying Mm -hmm. this is the truth in romans 6 this is what it's like under the law in romans 7 and you get to romans 8 and it says but now there is no more condemnation to those who are in christ jesus for the law of the spirit of life that's what the new law is called has set you free in jesus christ from the law of sin and death for what the law for god has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin he condemned in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled and here it is you got to remember it says go back to chapter 7 it says for while we are living in the flesh our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members i'm going to take all the excuses of romans 7 out you ready while we were in the flesh we had all the excuses to be double-minded we had all the excuses in the world to call ourselves a sinner but then you read romans 8 and it says but because in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things in the flesh if you if you live according to the flesh you'll live like romans 7 but jesus says or Paul says in Romans 8, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. And then it goes on, and it tells me that I'm an heir with Christ in verse 12. Like, bro, what? Like, I'm an heir of God. It goes from confusion of the law in Romans 7 to this is the truth in Romans 8, is there's no more condemnation. I love the passion. It says, now the case is closed, and there remains wow. no accusing voice of condemnation. And it basically tells you, listen, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9 says, you, however, are not in the flesh. There's there's no excuse. Romans 7 is to those that are in the flesh under the law. But Romans 8 tells me that I'm not in the flesh. And it says, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. <laughs> God. Anyone so, who- can I ask you a yes. question real
1: quick? Are you saying, just real quick, that the people who are reading Romans 7 taking affirmation that while Paul struggled with sin like I do they are actually reading it wrong would you say that
0: 100% not only are they reading it wrong they're dishonoring chapter 6 and chapter 8 like you keep, wow you, you, listen people want an excuse for their sin so it's easy to call yourself a sinner but Romans 8 doesn't allow me if I've actually say that I've been born again Like, people have made born again just to get to heaven one day. But I've been born again, born of the Spirit John 3 talks about. It's, you have to become unconscious to an old way of living. And so people sometimes hear me say this, and they're like, well, you're giving us a license to sin. No, you don't understand. God has the power to change your nature. And anybody who was an addict, like, if you were a drug addict, and alcoholic, and you're listening, people know this is to be true. Like, you encountered a man named Jesus... And you no longer have the desires to go back to the addiction was that because you followed mm-hmm. a law or because a man of power walked into your life and if and the only thing that keeps you from going back to the addictions is the grace and the blood of jesus you're not constantly having to read a paper every day reminding you not to go and drink alcohol it's become branded upon your heart and mm-hmm. you know it's like anybody who says that we don't have the power to overcome sin doesn't believe Romans six. You know like people that are stuck in pornography you actually can be free from opening your laptop and watching it like you have the power to overcome that but if we if we just want to stay in our pornography addiction just stay in Romans 7 but Romans 7 is not giving you a license to stay in the pornography you know addiction Romans 7 is telling you that the problem is is you're married to the wrong thing come and marry the Lord and you have to he died to the law he ended that covenant and he started a new one called spirit and life and now we are the righteousness of god in christ that i get to illuminate as god and then he goes as far as saying that i become an heir of god as we keep reading like i don't know about like i i just i'm convinced people don't read their bible To be completely honest i'm convinced that they (laughs) i'm convinced that people listen to a preacher tell them something 20 years ago and they decided to make that preacher the foundation of the truth that they build their life on for the rest of their life but they don't open their bible monday through saturday only on sunday when the preacher's telling them what it says but i'm telling you this this word that is living that is active will absolutely transform your life when you begin to read things like i'm going to behold him first john 3 2 and when i behold him what i'm going to say is i look just like him when's the last time somebody talked about that but nobody it, it's people think that we're putting the standard too high but you don't understand it. this standard is the blood of
1: jesus and the thing that people get all bent up about is what this is why we started with identity because this can only this is only accomplished by the blood this is only accomplished yeah. by beloved identity you know what I'm saying yeah and there's three verses th- three verses in Romans 7 that I want to read that wreck me verse 723 this is the same paul in Romans 6. That says you have been crucified, you have died to sin, you have been raised with Jesus in a resurrection <laughs> like His. This, this is the same, the same Jesus, or the same Paul. Then he says in verse seven, uh, chapter seven, verse twenty-three. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul, this is the Paul that did crazy stuff. This is the Paul that was, I mean. I just could never imagine Paul actually coming to the conclusion that I'm a slave to sin that dwells in my body. Yeah. And so when you read that, and then he says in the next verse, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. But in Romans seven eleven, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived it, and through it killed me. Romans 7 verse 6 or verse 5. Romans 7 5 for while we were living in the flesh our sinful passions, what? Aroused by the law. were at work in our members. And so the only way that sin actually has anything is it becomes aroused. It has its power. Right. It deceives through what? The law, but we have been we have died to the law. We have been crucified to the law. And I even like Romans eight two. For the law of spirit have for the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the what the law of sin the very thing the three the, the thing that Paul is trying to highlight he then condemns in verse 8 2 he says the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death it's like so when you good, actually man. look what Paul is saying how could Paul say I'm captive to sin this is the Paul who's just, who we all praise and is radical. And so those three verses and four Bro, verses. Bro, and
0: think about the reality of, of even that, you know, it just jumps out at me. Verse five, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. So in other words, what arouses yeah. sin is focusing on behavior. Now I'm going to make a lot of people upset with this right now, so forgive me. But think about what we have made the gospel to be in the West. Behavior modification. Behave and you'll be accepted. Behave, and you'll be accepted. I would go as far as saying when all of our focus is just on behave, it actually arouses sin. But when we change the focus from behavior to union with God, like when our focus goes from be good boy, be righteous. You see, I I don't just speak like I'm speaking from experience. I had a season in my life yeah. where I tried so hard to be righteous. I was so fixated on my motive. I was so concerned. I would go to sleep thinking, was God pleased with how many people I prayed for today? It was, it was the most condemning season of my life. And I remember the Lord came in and I won't share the whole testimony, but bro, the Lord delivered me from me and it felt righteous to constantly be focused on me and my behavior. But you want to talk about the essence of pride is look in the mirror and see yourself looking back the essence of humility is look in the mirror and you've lost your life you only see him looking back and so when i changed from behavior to union with god it no longer became based on my works of righteousness but his works of righteousness and now i can actually accept god you're walking in me doing the work in me like the scriptures say so i one time preached this and a pastor came up he actually took me to lunch and he said, you can't say that you're not a sinner. He got so mad at me for saying that in his church. He said, you can't say to people that they're not sinners. And he said, you, you, you are very prideful for saying that. And I asked him the question, what's more prideful, looking in the mirror and seeing what you've done or looking in the mirror and seeing what he's done? Tell me what's more prideful. And this is the religious lie is that pride is believing the Bible. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. That pride is believing wow. that I am the righteousness of God. It's the same. To, see, the devil didn't come to Jesus when he came up out of the water being baptized. You want to go clubbing. You want to go do drugs and drink alcohol. Jesus didn't deal with the sinful, fleshy desires. He was without sin. What he came to mm-hmm. Jesus with was exactly what he came to Eve with. Come on. If you be the son of God, it's always against your identity. It's always trying to get you out of believing who you are. I feel the presence of God, man, because this is what is trapping a generation Jesus himself throughout his life had to constantly overcome this the devil coming to him saying if you be the son of God prove yourself prove it Mm -hmm. right like this is the Bible goes you're the righteousness of God religion says prove it prove it with with behavior and then you just start focusing on behavior you start focusing on being good and you forgot about no this is who I am how could I be anything else like if somebody came and called me cole i wouldn't respond because you're coal right mm-hmm. like why why have we made that difficult just be who you are you know like we talk about it a lot the bible says beholding in the mirror the glory of the lord mirror is a reflection my reflection doesn't work hard it's just it's it's true <laughs> and this is mm-hmm. the power of the gospel is that only by the blood of jesus we have all power, authority, and dominion to actually believe that we're the sons of God. Jesus is hanging on the tree. The, the thief next to him again says, come on, if you be the son, get yourself off here and get us off too. The temptation for Jesus was to doubt for one moment that he was Jesus, that he was the Messiah, that he was the one that would come. You know, Isaiah says he had an ear that was awakened by the father at morning by morning. He became the author of our salvation through the things he suffered what are we talking about like it says that when he was younger he grew in favor with god and man we're talking about jesus so jesus wow. himself had to actually believe that oh my calling is to sit at the right hand of the father and he had to come into that truth in order to accomplish it according to the bible and so i just i struggle with the excuses that we've given ourselves to write ourselves out of this story because the whole mm. book is about there was a father and this father had a son and he wanted many sons and he sent his son to die so that he could have many sons and you weren't part of the game plan like you you weren't a part of the decision the meeting to be as righteous as god you just have to accept it
1: when you begin to realize your identity realize that god loves you not because you stopped watching pornography or because you got up and read your Bible because my Bible says, like you said, Romans 5, 9, I think Christ died for me while I was a sinner. Christ died for me before I ever did anything for him so his love could never improve based on works that I do for him because it was already perfect before I did one. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? When you realize that, 1 John 3, 9 starts happening because so many people, Pastor William, struggle with sin and it's toilsome. It's burdensome. It's, I can't beat this sin. I need to be more disciplined. But there's a reality to what you're saying where you're no longer tempted from pornography or tempted from anything. And 1 John 3, 9 becomes manifest and says, No one has been born of God makes a practice of sinning because God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. There becomes a reality of when you understand your identity and you understand grace, how much I'm loved and I don't have to do anything to earn it, that sin falls off of your life. Because I'm righteous because of the grace. I'm righteous because of the blood. Come on. And there's nothing I can do to earn it. Preach, Cole. And so sin will – Preach, (laughs) Cole. Sin sin cannot (laughs) exist. And so – we have that understood. And I want to ask you some questions. There's a, there's a few questions, and I know you probably got to go soon, but I, I think no, these are good. really important. I want because to kick a, over a my friend camera of mine. right now.
0: It's so powerful. Dude,
1: Pastor William, the, the questions that I know, I, me and you have talked for months, and these questions spur, and I feel like I can, there's questions that spur from these conversations. So if we say this, then what about this? And yeah. one of them is 1 John 3, 9, no one can keep on sinning. But if you read 1 John 1, 8... If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I want to read you, if you don't mind, um, I have an ESV study Bible, and it's just something I got on Amazon, but you can see it's really conservative and safe. But can I read you the study yeah, notes, tell me. and I want you to respond to them. 1 John eight in this Bible, I don't know what the brand is. Um, hold on, let me... Okay. First John 1.8's study notes say that there is some sin that can remain in every Christian's life because the word have is present tense. If we say we have no sin that's present, that's saying that there's some sin that will always remain. 1 John 3.9, what I just read about that God's seed abides and you cannot keep on sinning, the study notes say this is referring to the Holy Spirit's transforming presence within the believer this does not mean Christians are ever completely free from sin in this life and it says see first John 1 8 through 10 how do we balance these thing this like radical freedom like I guess this is a question of how far does it go you know what I'm saying
0: yeah well again I would say a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways right so you you can't be dual-natured he didn't create us that way he he didn't come to change william into better behavior he came to kill william into a new life this is this is the gospel right and so when i think of mm-hmm. you know the scriptures it goes on and it says for we all have sinned and we all have fallen short of the glory of god so in no way am i saying that i was without sin the reality is is i was with sin and and it's only because of the blood of jesus that i've been cleansed from all unrighteousness so you can't the bible doesn't contradict itself so it's not going to say in romans 6 that i'm free from sin and in first john that that i still have some sin and there's still a veil like either the blood worked or the blood didn't either like it doesn't say as he is so are we only halfway i mean it says as Mm -hmm. he is which is now so are we in this world and so the reality is, is just because I can bark like a dog doesn't make me a dog. And there's a reality of we are being transformed, 2 Corinthians 3. So it's not really a balance as much as it's a growing into truth. We are, gro- it's, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. And that's what I want people to be free from is the scriptures talk about we are being sanctified. This is why Paul said we have to die daily it's a renewing. It's it's a renewing is the implication is, is it's our mind is constantly being renewed by, day by day in the spirit. And so beholding in the mirror, 2 Corinthians 3, the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the very same image from one measure of glory to another measure of glory to another measure of glory. So in no way am I saying that it's just going to happen overnight. Now, so many people have that testimony where like, you were an alcoholic and the Lord came in and you just, in a moment, you lost the addiction. But there's still that constant transforming that's being taken place of sooner or later, you're not going to identify as, I, as an alcoholic. You're going to identify as a son and your past is going to become your testimony, right? And there is a constant growing up in the Lord where I think that certain things I dealt with 10 years ago, I don't deal with now because I moved from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Things that were hard for me 10 years ago aren't hard for me now. So it's not that we're dual nature, natured and double minded. And I'm constantly in this war within my members of sin. Now we're going back to the Romans seven thing. Like I, I think that that study is terrible. No offense, ESV, because it's because we either have to believe the work is finished and I'm coming into the revelation that the work is finished but to be unstable and to think that i don't have that i don't have the righteousness of god in me and that death is somehow my entrance into the full payment then death would be the savior then death would be the crown but the scriptures say that death is an enemy and so this is why he rose from the dead if it was just about dying and going to heaven he wouldn't have he wouldn't have raised from the dead he'd have just been sinless and say hey be good until you die and then you'll come back no he rose from the dead like i don't know where why we get confused you know what i'm saying about these things but there is a reality of we have been crucified with him buried with him raised with him and seated with him in heavenly places it doesn't say that i'm going to be seated with him it says i'm seated with him in heavenly places the scriptures talk about the spirit of god dwells in me that i'm the temple of the holy spirit and to be careful in how i treat the temple for the temple is holy that's me like what and so again we can't just take one verse out of context but we can recognize that we are constantly growing and that's the balance is that you're not just going to overnight be perfect but you're growing day by day more into the image and what is so beautiful about the grace of god is i have toddlers right now my toddlers fight constantly they sin constantly they're selfish i love them to death but They're not going to act when they're 30 years old the way they do right now at 5. But right now at 5, they are as much my children, as much my likeness, as much my image. I love them as much today as I'm going to love them at 30. I I freely give them myself, my authority, my stamp of approval as much today as I'm going to give them when they're 30 when they're 30 they're just going to ultimately have a re- revelation of what i've always believed about them at
1: 5 a friend of mine asked me 2 days ago bro he's <laughs> i've basically i'm telling him everything we're talking about and he asked me can we become perfect i don't and he goes i don't know because christ christ had to save me because i was a sinner he goes cuz and he said the word filthy he's like i'm a filthy i think he said filthy but he's like could we become perfect and so do you <laughs> I only think that question, I only think that question could be produced when you're starting to comprehend how yeah. radical grace actually is. So like, it's a beautiful question I've asked in my, like, how far can this thing go?
0: Do you have a way of looking up the verse? I just want to be able to say chapter and verse. There's a verse that says, be holy or be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect.
1: It's Matthew five, but let me double check. Be perfect. Dude, it's so funny you said that. because I said something similar to him when I was responding Matthew five forty eight. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect. Yep.
0: So uh, my, do you want me to answer it?
1: <clears throat> yep.
0: So that word perfect, again, because we're so fixated on behavior, we think we've crossed every T and we've dotted every I, and we have to perfection been righteous. But again, man has no ability within himself to maintain righteousness. We simply have to believe what's true about us and so matthew 5 when it says be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect that word perfect in greek it it's be it's your whole it's it's not it's not we always go back to behavior because that's the level in which like we're stuck still at the tree of good and evil right this is where adam and eve were is am i going to be good boy or am i going to be bad boy but you got to understand the lord Mm -hmm. said don't eat that fruit don't eat the fruit of behavior, good and bad. Eat the fruit of the tree of life. So Adam and Eve are at a tree of knowledge, of good and evil. They want to be like God. And here comes Jesus. And I believe the cross represents the tree of life. And he says, come and eat. <laughs> come and eat this new fruit, my flesh. Come and eat this, this new drink, my blood. And you have this reality of it's no longer about the tree of good and evil. It's about the tree of life, which now becomes who we are. And so I, I, again, perfection for me, do I believe we can obtain perfection? You bet I believe we can obtain perfection. I don't care how many people, I don't care how many people get upset (laughs) with that, because the reality is, is perfection to me is not just perfect behavior. It's I am whole in Christ, that I've been made holy as Christ is holy, not because of what I've done but because of what he's done. And I'm afraid that so many Christians live in Galatians chapter three. that says you who started in the spirit. Cause ain't nobody, especially people that were just like, they know man, like filthy, like we were all filthy. But the reality is, is like, you know, I, maybe you murdered somebody. I don't know. Like you just really sinned at a high, at a high degree. Nobody <laughs> came to Jesus going, I deserve this. No one. Like no one came to Jesus going, my behavior got me here. Everyone came to him crying. Everyone came to him filthy. Everyone came to him, how could you die for a wretched man like me? And in that moment, I feel like most Christians, like 99% of people that give their life to Jesus in that moment for like at least a week before they go to church in that moment, they can't believe that Christ has washed them and taken away their sin fully in the spirit, fully not by behavior. But then Paul comes along and he says, you who started that way have then gone to works. Who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians, you who started in the spirit and in grace now think that you can maintain it by your own works. This is why the scriptures say that Christ in me, it's, it's Christ working in me. The scriptures are so clear that it's no longer my own amazing works. It's, the only reason I can work this thing out is because God's in me. I mean, it says, I don't even mm. know how to pray to God, but the spirit of God's in me praying for me. Like, could it yeah. be this good? And I would say, yes, I, I believe that the gospel is way better than we think. And people are always like, man, you're an extreme grace guy. I'm like, so if grace is not extreme, what is grace to you? Again, but we've made it, <laughs> but we've made it all behavior. People are like, you're one of those guys that is extreme grace. And, You you can just like live any way you want and get away with it. No, you don't understand. I'm in love. (laughs) Like, I was disgusting Mm -hmm. and Christ forgave me. I wasn't worthy and he said I was worthy. I mean, I, I think you've shared this before, but I heard my uncle share about the reality of what grace actually is. Like, imagine somebody kills your firstborn son. You can respond three ways. You can you can take them to court. And go through the justice system and they can get life in prison that would be justice you could kill them you could you could have retaliate and that would be revenge and those would both be like in our world today those are really the only two responses but then there's a third heavenly response and that's grace you can forgive him not only did the father when we killed his son pick the third option of grace while we're standing in the courtroom on the other side of the bench, we're the, we're the enemy. We were the ones that killed the son. He says, oh, by the way, I know you killed my boy, but everything that belongs to him now belongs to you. The garment that he was wearing, I'm going to put it on you. The house that he lives in, you can live in. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to adopt you. You can have my last name. Like, what What are we talking about here? That, that I wasn't worthy and God said, come to me, all you who are weary that I was the son that wasted the inheritance that God gave me in the beginning. Because he gave it to man. He told man, you're my image, my likeness, you have dominion, jurisdiction. We're the prodigal son that took that truth and we shared it with the pigs. And we were disgusting, we were filthy, and we come running home and the father's waiting for us. And and I believe like even people that are falling back in sin, I love this statement. You know, we we wrestle with like Is he the shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one or is he the father sitting on the porch waiting for the sons? I think it's the wrong question. I think you need to ask yourself, have you only stayed at the revelation of being a sheep that follows or being a son that knows his way home? And you have to remember (laughs) when you are a son, you know your way back home. And because it's who you are, it's, it's regardless of what I go do, my name never changes. And I know, you know, like when I was younger and I would do dumb things, even when I knew I was going to be in trouble, you know the first person I called was my dad. Like, Mm. if I got into a car accident because I was trying to drift and I just had finished watching, you know, Need for Speed or something and being dumb, even when I know my dad is going to probably be really ticked at me, the first person I call is my dad. And you know the first question he always asks me, are you okay? Because that's who fathers are. Now, with us being evil, Luke 11 says, you know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our Heavenly Father? And I'm afraid that we think we're better parents than God is. And so the reality is, is that by the beauty of His grace, He invited us in not on our own merit, but because we're His sons.
1: It's crazy because people are probably listening. Can we become perfect And you're talking about something that has nothing to do with it. No, it has everything to do with it. Because what you're doing is what I said from the beginning is when you say, can we become perfect? You're starting to realize how radical grace is that sin has no dominion over me. Well, how far can this go? Really what you're asking is is there is there a point where I won't even have to struggle with sin anymore. Where it has like to the point where I'm not going to. That's what you mean. And I believe that that
0: is possible. And so the question shouldn't be, can we be perfect? The question should be, are we sons? Amen. And if we're sons, then I don't have to strive for behavior. I just had to believe who I am. And this is what repentance is. This is why we have to repent because it's changing how we think. It's not just saying sorry mm. for the sin. It's saying I'm going to think completely differently moving forward.
1: Well, so could you explain like even let's just get practical with it. Someone I've had multiple conversations like this and I say, hey, like, do you think you could go one one day without sinning? <laughs> could you go a week without sinning even they never make it past the one day which is crazy but like people don't go think they can go one day without sinning why do you think that is
0: because they're they've been lied to bro i i've heard people say that we're so the nature of sin that somehow like from the time i got out of bed to brushing my teeth i was sinning like again
1: yeah, we want
0: we want the excuse to People get mad about the grace message because they think it's a license to sin, but actually the sinner message is the license to sin. Mm. You just keep calling yourself a sinner, go sin because that's what you believe you are. You will be what you are. This is why the scriptures tell us, as a man thinks in his heart, that word heart in Greek and in Hebrew means mind. We're not talking about a beating organ. We're talking about the thing that controls us, our emotions, our will, our mind, the thing that drives us, our pursuits, our passions. That's your heart. And so as a man thinks in his heart, so will he live. If I think I'm a sinner, then I will find ways to sin. But if I think that I'm the righteousness of God, I'm no longer, like Paul talks about being unconscious to sin and alive to God. Like, Do you know what unconscious yeah. means? It means you're, you are unconscious. like You are unaware. <laughs> you're not trying hard to be a good boy. And that's what we want you to be free from. And bro, I'm watching a young generation walk in a measure of consecration and righteousness like i haven't seen before not because they found the secret to behavior but because they found the secret to union with god
1: and when you break it down you think of somewhere in first or second timothy i was trying to find it real quick it says like we know the law is good everything in Romans says the law is good Just because I'm under grace doesn't mean I can dishonor my father and mother now. Just because I'm under grace does not mean I can then start to covet. Like the Ten Commandments still are good. It's the law. It's perfect. It's God. It's God manifest, right? This is his character. And so uh, we're just free from the curse of the law, but we can still look like, hey, have I broken a commandment today? Have Have I coveted today? You know, it's still good. It was still edifying to teach in a way. And so when you break down sin, have I broken a commandment? Um, Galatians 5, have I displayed fruits of the flesh? Um, No, no and no. Okay. The third one, I think somewhere in James says for him who knows what he should do, but does not do it for him, it is sin. Okay. I've done everything I know I should do. Okay. Has the Holy Spirit spoken anything to me and I've not listened to his voice today. Okay. So you really break it up. There's like four categories there. It's like Check, check, and check, and may I add, by the power of Christ in me, only by beloved identity can I even do those things. But let's just say, hypothetically, you go, let's just say an hour. I have not done any of those things in one hour. What I've realized is people still think above and beyond that, that Jesus being perfect, he was like mega, mega perfect. He was like, even when I don't even know what I'm doing, he was better than me, even though I'm yeah, unattainable. not even conscious to... Yes. Does that make sense? I don't know if you even need to elaborate on no, that, I but think you, that's I, a more practical...
0: Yeah, I think you elaborated perfectly. The The reality is, again, is is that we're we're just constantly fishing for excuses because we're confused in our hearts of who we are.
1: Real practical question. The most practical question of the day, actually. Let's uh, go. What's the, what's the difference between conviction and condemnation?
0: So condemnation is... Bro, this is a great question, and again, I this is probably gonna offend, <laughs> offend some people, and, and I'll try to be as practical as I am. Um, so condemnation doesn't bear fruit onto being convinced, right? Condemnation is you feel sorry for yourself, and it and it's a feeling of dirty, whereas convicted is. Not just I am convicted and I feel sorry, but convicted is, is I've become convinced. Like, for example, if somebody was to ask me about abortion, let's get, you know, let's just get into it. I have a conviction, right? My conviction is that all life comes from God. I I don't know how someone can be a believer and vote for murdering babies. You know, that's just me. I read that in the Bible. I have a conviction of that, right? That conviction is not rooted in condemnation. That conviction is rooted in, I believe something. I've become convinced of something. Whereas condemnation is, is you're not convinced. You're just sad. You're just, you're just like a sad puppy, constantly look, constantly looking at yourself, feeling sorry for yourself, but it offers, condemnation offers no roadmap out. And so you can't be convicted if there's not a seed in you of convinced right so i love when people like sin until they encounter jesus you know like i've lost count of how many times people were like stuck in pornography and they started coming to church it took months for them to actually like give their lives to the lord answer the altar call but all of a sudden the conversations i'm having with them is is like man i feel really horrible about watching pornography that's a seed called conviction right like there is a seed mm-hmm. that came into you That's beginning to grow and that's why we have to be easy on ourselves and recognize you're becoming like God you're you're being transformed into his image you're being sanctified but condemnation doesn't allow you to grow into the image condemnation just keeps you in yours whereas conviction is I'm becoming convinced I'm becoming convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God and because I have this conviction that I'm the righteousness of God anything outside of that conviction is like me trying to walk around like a dog outside it doesn't work it's not who i am so condemnation allows us to keep being like a dog whereas conviction brings us into being who we are
1: so you would say in conviction there could still exist the negative strong negative emotions of sin that like you're just like beating yourself up still but as long as it leads to repentance unto absolutely. fruit absolutely that's conviction. I always
0: say conviction and condemnation emotionally feel the same at first just one lead that's it. one leads one way and one leads another way and again wow. without knowing this without this being branded upon your heart you won't know how to deal with conviction and you will always assume it's condemnation as a preacher who is like I go after stuff you know that like I don't like holding punches I think we've watered down the gospel I think we've made church an hour of simple and easy so that people go home encouraged. I'm all for people being encouraged, but I often say I'd rather people go home ripped in their heart, shaken, stirred, desiring to be with God. And I've dealt with this so many times where people are like, man, I felt condemned when you were ministering, but what I was ministering was truth. And I think that we have blurred the lines of conviction and condemned. I think, no, you were probably just convicted. You just didn't know how to direct your conviction into, oh my gosh, I'm becoming convinced of God loves me and this is who I am. And it's why I feel this way is because I'm operating outside of who I am.
1: And that's why a lot of people, I've heard, I've seen an Instagram reel about this when they say if you can sin and it no longer produces that strong negative emotion, like, oh my gosh, it means your conscience has become seared.
0: Absolutely. And so... uh, I want to be a man like David. It says when David sinned against god his heart struck him and it would be the smallest things his heart would strike him that proves if you have that experience it proves that your heart is pure and and people that don't believe that that he's made them pure or he's made them righteous people that don't believe that won't have the striking of heart so the fact you're bothered about it means that you're on the right road
1: praise god dude I think that was a, a perfect <laughs> way to end. Instant, a perfect, a perfect way to a perfect way to end on a real practical thing. This is a pra- the most practical thing about everything we just talked about. So, uh, very much correlated. But thanks for coming on. I appreciate on, it. Wonderful. I think a lot of people are going to be blessed by this. Come on,
0: man! Thanks for what you're doing, bro. Uh,
1: thank you all for watching this episode of the podcast. Uh, we'll see you in the next one. God bless.